with Vic Pipke. Uh, Vic was for many, many years a police officer and in fact a member of the SWAT team here in Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, following a life-altering injury, he was forced to find a new career path after his recovery. And um, you know that's not easy, but he did it and he did it very, very well. The first part of this conversation is, is just loaded, I would say, with wisdom uh, from Vic and some good conversation between the two of us about um, about mindset improving, you know, not being afraid to remove emotional connection, not being afraid to forgive yourself, for instance, um, contextualizing experiences as positive, you know, all, all these things. It's essentially about flipping from a negative mindset to a positive mindset. And then going forward, uh, Vic shares uh, a little bit of his life story, why he got into policing, and his, his concept of actually becoming immortal. So you're definitely going to want to hear this. It's pretty wild stuff. I really enjoyed it. And uh, finally, Vic will share the story of, of his life-altering injury that he suffered during a, a workout in 2015, how he went into the depths, uh, you know, into a, what he calls a pity party, and how he then rose up into a new career where he's, he's helping people even more so now than he feels he was uh, in law enforcement. So um, really a great conversation. I, I was really uh, humbled and gracious to sit down with Vic for a good hour and a half. I hope you'll enjoy part two here. Um, there's really a lot to take home and a lot to be inspired by. So I'll get out of the way and you can check it out. Here is part two of my sit down with Mr. Vic Pipke. Now, I guess I'd be curious to ask, do you find that when you when you meet people in here and you're consulting them, is there is, I don't know what it is we're talking about. It's a, it's a mindset, right? It's mm-hmm. it's an act of getting in the game mindset. Is that, does that, is that missing from people generally or is that too easy to say? I think generally, yes, mm-hmm. I think it is. I just like, like I said before, I think we just get so beaten up mm. with life right. that we just forget that we control our game, Yes, right? You control, you know, one uh, one of my mentors, uh, Riel Michaud, he says, okay. the only two things you control are your attitude and your activity, mm. mm-hmm. right? And they feed off of each other. Okay. And then Simon Sinek goes even further, mm. right? If you change your mindset, it changes your emotion about something. Mm. Your emotion actually drives the chemical balances in your body. If you can change the chemical balances in your body, you're going to change your actions to achieve whatever it is you're mm. trying to achieve. Wow. Extra action will create more results. Those results will manifest and reinforce the belief that you started with in the first place. Right. And now you've changed the world exactly. in some way. And and you just, you know, and the great thing is in that, in that circle, you can mm. jump in anywhere. Wow. You can jump in anywhere in that circle that you want. If you want to start with thinking differently, sure. fine. If you want to, if maybe you've got control of your thoughts and you want to jump in on the, you know, I just need to, I need to change the way I feel about things because mm-hmm. some people can do that, mm-hmm. right? If I'm around a certain environment, I feel better. Well, if you feel better, that's going to change your chemical balances, which is going to change your activity, wow. which is going to change your results, which will change your belief, which will then reinforce your mm-hmm. thoughts. 
and it works the opposite way too. Oh, you, we can work that circle the other way. Well, I mean, or you're it saying works the other you, way if you have crappy thoughts. Got, yes, 100%. Crappy emotions, <laughs> crappy right. activity, right. crappy results, crappy beliefs reinforces that bad thought. Hmm. Now, have you found any utility to removing or let's say reducing your emotional connection to things that happen in life? That's one thing. That's a step that I had to make where it was like, I'm getting too emotionally reactive to something that happens when it's like, if I just can remove that, even yeah. even 50% and not be so down in the dumps about something you did wrong and just see it as maybe an invitation to grow or do better next time. Is that been any, does that do anything for you? Yeah. I, th I think that exactly what you said is a healthy way to look at it, right? Mm. It's every, every circumstance, everything that's happened to you in your life. Number one, take accountability, right? You are where you are in your life be as a result of every decision you've made beforehand. Right. And when you take accountability for your entire hmm. life, it's scary, but it's it's empowering right. and it's uplifting because now you know that whatever decision you make from this point on, you have control. Isn't that crazy? You have 100% control. And so part of it is forgiving yourself. Hmm. Right? Yeah, that's huge, man. Holy. I say, man, I made mistakes. But here's the thing. If I make a mistake and I don't take something from it, I don't learn from it, mm -hmm. well, that's just a disservice to me and everyone around me. Mm -hmm. But if I use that as fuel to get better, mm -hmm. right? That's the next, that's that's the, how that growth continues, right? It's yeah. like if every experience is suddenly not negative or positive, but if every experience is, I guess, just, well, it could all be positive even. It's, it's, yeah. just, it's a step. I really screwed that up, but at least I know, and now I'm not going to do it again and whatever. Yeah. You don't use it. You don't reduce your, you know, you don't, what am I trying to say? You don't put that weight on your shoulder. It's something about, you know, mm -hmm. not taking on the weight of a failure. It's like, why bother? Yeah. Why bother? I, I like the analogy of, um, stress and the feeling of failure, mm. uh, whether it's the feeling of not being adequate or being insignificant, whatever it is, it's like carrying luggage. Mm. Yeah, the longer that, you carry it, the heavier it gets. No kidding. But you can choose when you want to when you want to put it down. Right. Put your luggage down. Put your crap down. <laughs> and move forward with the freedom. Mm -hmm. You're gonna feel a lot better. Big time. And yeah. I, I always find myself asking or asking the guests because they have a perspective that I don't have. Is like, what is it that that lets people or forces people or makes people hold on to that luggage way longer than they need to? I think it's different for each person. I, mm. I think sometimes it's they're comfortable. Mm -hmm. Some people, because of their mentality, they're victims, mm -hmm. and they don't realize that they don't have to be, mm -hmm. but they're comfortable being a victim. Right. So the longer I hold on to this, the longer I can hold myself hostage, um, which for some people means that you know they're more dramatic about certain things to attract attention, which mm. then gives them significance. Uh, right, right. Right? That like, makes, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah you know what, I'm... I have a crappy life mm -hmm. and the more I complain about it outwardly, the more people pay attention to me and now I feel significant. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, it's not good significance. So, right. Not, yeah. Put that stuff down. And I mean, it's not easy to do. I let's, let's be honest. It's not for it's, sure. You didn't wake up one morning all of a sudden go, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And mm -hmm. it was roses ever since. Right. Right comes with time it comes with work and mm -hmm. the cool thing is if you associate yourself with 
different people, mm -hmm. you'll get different results. Mm. And I'm not talking even personally associating with people. Sure. Listening to a podcast is associating with the people on that podcast. Sure. Reading a good book is associating with that author. Mm. Right? If you're putting good things in, it's no different than, Big you know, time. being unhealthy but sitting on your couch eating hamburgers and drinking pop all day mm -hmm. and expecting to get well. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to do something different. You're going to have to get out of that environment, get into a new environment, associate with different people. Mm. You know, I, I call my, my car isn't my car anymore. It's a rolling university. Nice. I don't listen to any crap in my car anymore. Okay. It's all good podcasts. It's all inspiring talks or um, audio that lifts me up, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. When I'm in my car, I mean, most people, it's it's dead time dead time or or worse right like i was thinking about if you're if you got poor posture going on and oh, you're not yeah. you know and then no wonder people road rage right because yeah. they're driving around drinking coffee hunched over listening yeah. to god knows what yeah well you're waiting for someone to cut you off yeah you know? exactly and so you know if, if you look at those points in your life where maybe it's like you know like some people like i don't have time to sit down and listen to podcast mm -hmm. but you drive a half hour to work every day you got time you got time yeah right yeah just, no one's probably ever suggested it. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing I, I, I like that you brought this up because I'm curious about, like, you're, you're doing a lot of, you're talking about reading, listening to podcasts, and that is obviously, it's built, it's helping you build what you're building here. Do you, is there a time when you uh, turn off that external influence and really try and go inside and see what, what uh, you know, what does Vic think today about these issues? Is there, is that part of your sort of routine? Yeah. I mean, because not every podcast you're going to believe or, mm -hmm. or, um, uh, you know, agree with, right? Mm, There's mm. going to be certain things like, ah, I don't know if I really agree with that. Right. 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 So I think you always have to be critical. Mm -hmm. Um, I have no problem with people being skeptical or critical. I have a problem when that turns into cynicism. Mm. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like critical is, you know, uh, questioning things mm -hmm. until you find out the answer. Cynical is questioning things even after you have the answer. Mm. And then applying a moral judgment to, to the world, I exactly, guess. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Because, I mean, in, in this industry, right, the financial industry, obviously, uh, you know, strength of character is a big deal. Morals, hmm. ethics, integrity. Sure. Um, you know, and that's one thing that we, we profess, you know, very, very loudly. We set a standard in, hmm. in our team that if you don't have certain morals and ethics and integrity, we just will choose not to work with you. Okay. Right? It's not that you might be a bad person. It's just hmm. our clients deserve the best. Hmm. Um, and so, I mean, that's something we're always looking out for. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, interesting. I think it's I think it's important, and that's not just in business. Mm -hmm. That's in everything. Now, what is strength of character? Well, it's doing the right thing when no one's looking. Ah, and sure. And some people go as far as say, as long as it's moral, ethical, and legal, then that's strength of character. Sure. Well, I change that a little bit mm -hmm. because I don't think everything that's legal is moral. <laughs> sure. Just, yeah. Just watch any congressional hearing when <laughs> yeah. you have some big big pharma or big oil company saying, oh. we we operated within the bounds of the law. Mm -hmm. Yeah, still doesn't mean you didn't do anything wrong. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, all that stuff still seeped into the water supply. Exactly, right? Yeah. Oh, but it was legal. Yeah. Okay, well. great. Yeah, you just hurt a whole bunch of people, but I'm glad you stayed within the bounds of the law. Good for you. Good. Yeah, yeah. on yeah. paper, you're doing right. Yeah. I think that's, and again, that's funny because we started talking about this and we keep coming back is like these ideas of, uh, let's say law, government, big institutions, people sort of subscribe to those and say, well, that's morality. That's how, and so that's taken care of. I don't have to worry too much about that. I guess what I'm doing with this show, hopefully is inspiring people to maybe think for themselves outside of that institutional or collective, yeah. you know, think for yourself essentially. Yeah. 
And you know what? It's I. I don't like bashing other other places, other mm-hmm. people, Fair other enough. things, uh, because I'm not there. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say this: I, there are a number of people that work out of the office that I work out of here, mm-hmm. um, who used to work in the banking industry. Oh yeah, and they left for very specific reasons. Mm. You know, and when I was looking to move into this industry, I actually looked um, at the traditional industry, and mm-hmm. and everyone I talked to said the to a person, the thing they dislike most about the financial industry was that typically Mm. your number one role is to maximize profits for shareholders or a corporation or a company. Gotcha. Obviously, they want to do what's best for the client, but if what's best for the client clashed with the needs of the corporation, Mm -hmm. the corporation won. Sure. Right? And so I didn't want to be swayed by that in the traditional industry. Mm. That's why I went into looking to be an independently contracted broker mm. with no one controlling me so i could advocate for people and not companies okay right and you know what i i looked at a number of different organizations um, but the only one that truly gave me the autonomy to be completely independently contracted was world financial group mm. right okay and I mean, elephant in the room, uh, type in World Financial Group on the internet and <laughs> yeah. you're going to see a whole bunch of stuff. Some really good, some really bad. Mm-hmm. 100%. I get it. Um, but I think it's very misunderstood what World Financial Group is because mm. really all it is is a business system. Sure. It gives me the infrastructure to run my business as an independently contracted broker in some ways very similar to a franchise, yep. right? Um, just without a whole bunch of upfront cost and all mm. that sort of stuff. But... What it also does is it means that every person that you run into, you're dealing with a different person with a different personality, mm. right? Yeah, sure. And so, I, I mean, let's... Can't be let's, a bad thing. No, exactly, right? Because you're going to associate to different people differently, mm-hmm. but there's still going to be bad people. Right. And And I'm, I'm in no delusion that every police officer that puts on a uniform is a good person. Mm-hmm. Some slip through the cracks. Right. Right? Or become, like you were saying. Exactly, right? So um, just like any other industry, you're going to have people that maybe sometimes make bad decisions Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Could be for bad things in their life that Mm -hmm. are happening, that, you know, stress causes them to make a bad decision. I don't know. I'm not here to judge. Mm -hmm. Um, But all you can control is yourself. So, you know, I I kind of, I like the idea of being independent, of being able to be contracted independently so I can serve other people. Um, and it also means I get to control the strength of character of my agents that I work with. Because mm-hmm. I can refuse to work with people because I don't think you have very good character. Wouldn't that be nice? As an employee, you can't choose who you're working with. Yeah. You work with whoever the boss says they hired next, right? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, our business just went up massively when my wife came on board, right? So, because right she's on. got outrageous strength of character, which was awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, she, she used to work in one of the largest law firms in, in Alberta, oh, wow. um, was a major, major cog in that wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, and she walked away from that, um, that so-called job security, uh, mm-hmm. because she loves what we do. She loves yeah. how we help people, how we put people first. It's not just about making a buck. Not about making a buck. So that's that's great. I, I'm curious about what it is that drove you into policing. Like, at what age did you decide oh. that was the move? It's the only thing I ever thought of doing, to be honest. Yeah. The only thing I ever thought to do. Uh, my parents, my grandparents, my my, grand, my, my grandfather uh, in particular, he was a World War II veteran. Um, and my parents were always in the service industry. Okay. Um, 
was always kind of raised with that idea that the most fulfilling life you'll have is a, is a, a life of service to other people. Hmm. You help enough other people out and you'll eventually get what you need to be, to be happy, right, hmm. in life. And um, I mean, to say, like, I, because my, my grandpa, when I was a little boy, he was my hero. He was a sure. war hero, right? So he was my hero. I was like, oh, I want to be in the Army. Like, yeah. I remember being a really young boy, and that's what I wanted to do. And, okay. um, yeah, growing up in the 70s and 80s, it's not like there was a plethora of conflict everywhere. So um, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, chose, I chose law enforcement mm. at a very young age. Um, and then the first time I ever saw the show SWAT, I was like, that's what I want to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yep. And, you know, it was it was one of those things that I I was blessed because I talked to, like, like before COVID happened, I used to go into high schools and I used okay. to do financial seminars for high school kids. Mm, okay. And, you know, when I, I would talk to them, I'd ask them, you know, what do you want to do when, when you're done high school? Mm-hmm. Like, I have no idea. Mm. Like, they're in grade 12 and they have no idea. Right. And I feel very blessed that I never had that turmoil because mm. I knew. This is where I'm going to go to school. This is when I'm going to get hired. This is how long I'm going to be a police officer. Like, I was very clear, hmm. right? It's that focus. Sure. I was very clear. I had a clear, very clear, clear vision of what I wanted my future to look like. Mm-hmm. And that's all I focused on. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it was as long as I can remember, I wanted to be a policeman. Hey, that's... Well, but isn't that interesting that you say a life of service would, would be fulfilling and you're finding that to be true now even more so now even more so now even more so now because i can here I, I, one great story i love to i love to tell is um during my time with the police officer uh, as a police officer i got to do some training with uh, a gentleman by the name of hans morero okay um one of the probably uh, well at the time probably arguably one of the most dangerous human beings walking the face of the earth okay okay and um like he taught hand-to-hand combat to the military, like all over the world. Like oh. he was, he was well sought after. Okay. And uh, so we were able to do a course with him. And when, I mean, the course was amazing. One of the best courses I've ever taken in my entire life. Mm-hmm. But the most impactful thing was when he was telling us his story about mm-hmm. how when he was a young boy and, and if Hans ends up listening to this and I bastardize this story, I apologize in <laughs> advance. I'm Sorry, going, Hans. I'm going off of 18-year memory okay. uh, after a brain injury, so I'm going to try and get it. But the, <laughs> sure. the, the story at the end is, is the key thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically, when he was a young boy, grew up in a really big family. I think there was like 11 brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point when he was a young boy, uh, his parents got approached by a gentleman who ended up being his trainer. And okay. he said, listen, there's something unique about your son, something special. Hmm. Um, and I think with, you know, very concentrated training hmm. and guidance, he could make a pretty big impact in the world. And so I'd like to train him. Okay. And his parents said, okay. Uh, I think he was in California at the time. Um, and he said, okay, but I got to take him to China. Whoa. He's like, oh. <laughs> Hang on a second, right? Okay, yeah. And I mean, he, he joked that, well, there was 11, 11 mouths to feed. If there was one less, my parents were all for it, right? But I'm, I'm sure. sure they did their vetting and yeah. all that. And so they eventually allowed him to go as a young man. And what year would this have been that this was happening to him? Oh, geez, that would have been probably in the early 70s, mid-70s. Okay, okay. Yeah, mid, yeah maybe mid to late 70s. Okay. And so they let him go. And uh, when he got there, he expected it to be this huge training facility, <laughs> training these warriors and all this sure. other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there was only like a half dozen, maybe 10 people there. Mm. 
And so he said, you know, the first couple of years they were training about building people and building your mind and mm. learning how to heal. And, and it was, it was mm. nothing about like the typical, what you would think of as, you know, a, a fighting school or a warrior school or anything like that. It was about healing and growing people. Mm. And then he said, after that, they started to get into like the, the, the meat and potatoes type of thing. Sure, sure. But he said one day he finally got up the, the courage to talk to, to his, his sensei, his master. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know what, I've always been baffled is that with what we teach people, it's so impactful. Mm-hmm. Why don't you have hundreds and hundreds or thousands of people who are teaching them this, mm-hmm. right? You could make this big school and it could be impactful in so many people's lives. And mm-hmm. and his, his, the answer he got is something that stuck with me since that day. And he said... You know what? I could do that, but what I teach people mm. will die with them or it might last one generation. Mm. But if I can find 10 key people and I can pour all of my knowledge and experience and love and joy and everything into those 10 key people and teach them how to do the same thing I did, mm. I'll now be immortal. Whoa. <laughs> People may never know what my name is, but mm. what I teach people will last forever. Wow. And that's what I try to do. I want whatever I do today to live forever. Mm-hmm. Regardless if there's my, my name's on a building or, or you know what, and be like, hey, who is that great, great, great grandfather that, that you know, left us this, <laughs> this, this estate? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I think his name was Bill. I, I yeah. can't remember. Like, I really don't care. Yeah. Um, but I want to be immortal in the way that I want to leave an imprint that transcends time. Whoa. I didn't expect to get that deep, Vic, but thank you. No, that's, that's so immortal in a way that transcends time because all this, all this knowledge and skill that you've, that you've built for yourself, in some ways, it, it's not you, right? It's, it lives inside you. You yeah. act it out, but it, you have to transfer it for it yeah. to... And it's not mine. Right. It's not mine to keep... Right, right. You have to teach it. I have to give it to other people, right? It, it wasn't, the, it wasn't the, didn't belong to the people that shared it with me. Mm-hmm. So it's not for me to keep it. Right. Right. I'm just a vessel for all the things I've learned before to pass on to other people. Maybe I filter it differently. Maybe I, I package it differently. Maybe it, it, it talks to one person, but doesn't talk to another, mm-hmm. you know, but it's, it's for me to give away. Yeah. That's true service, isn't it? To just Absolutely. sort of be a, a like a node or a channel that things pass through yeah. from one, from wherever to, to to me or you or whoever. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, All right, that's great. I'm gonna take that home and chew on it because I've been thinking about being a servant uh, to. I use the word God, but it's not God per se. But it's it's like you talked about a higher power. A higher power. Like yeah. you, you talked about the way things vibrate. Everything vibrates. Mm-hmm. There's energy that's been here since the beginning that is passing through me and you. And I just think about maybe it is just service. But if I can just channel that in a way, and I just get out of my own way, take the ego, reduce the ego, take the ego aside, yeah. and just serve others, because then I master myself. Yeah. Because to do that as impactfully and efficiently as I can, I have to be my best self too. So it's this, it's the yin yang, I guess, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, like you said, you mentioned it earlier, it's, it's all about growing, Mm -hmm. right? If you're not growing, you're dying. It's a universal truth, right? Right. When, when plants start, stop growing, they start dying Mm -hmm. and, and human beings are the same, 
right? If you, you know, if people want longevity, mm-hmm. well, keep growing. Just keep growing. Don't stop. Just don't stop, right? And yeah. it's, it's not like you're going to go run a marathon every day until you're 112 <laughs> years old. But no. do something every day to make yourself a little bit better than you were yesterday. That's, That's beautiful. It. That's it. A go little for a bit. Walk. Right. Go for a walk. And it's the small goals that, that really yeah. start the process. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Would you, I know we're, we're getting toward the end, but would you, would you mind maybe as much as you'd like just to share the story of what happened to you when you were, when you had that workout and you had the injury, would yeah, you mind? Sure. Yeah, yeah, no, no problem. I think people would like to hear because that set you on the path that you're on now. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so that, uh, I was, I was about six years into my career with, uh, with, uh, the SWAT team and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was getting ready to plan my next steps, right. To, mm-hmm. you know, maybe get promoted, uh, then maybe one day, you know, be a, a supervisor of my own SWAT team. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that was really the goal. And I, you know, while we were getting ready to, to take that next step, uh, we were in the middle of what was called a runoff. Mm. And basically, runoff is a competition that lasts a couple of days that uh, tests the competence and abilities of, of members that want to get into the unit. Okay. Um, but in order to set the standards for all of the all of the the the, the runoff um, competitions, mm-hmm. we have to do them ourselves so we can set that standard because we can't expect more from someone that we can't do ourselves. Gotcha, gotcha. So we have to do kind of a mini runoff, and uh, so uh, it was during the middle of a shift where we're in the gym and and we're kind of going through this mini runoff, mm-hmm. and right in the middle of one of the one of the events was actually a Jacob's ladder. So yeah, so I'm on this Jacob's ladder, mm-hmm. and the goal is to reach a certain amount of steps as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. And I've never been a distance guy. Okay. I hate distance running. I was a sprinter in college. Oh, okay. I played football in university. Make me run fast, and then I can take a break. Right, right. right. <laughs> right? Yeah. So this was an event that was right up my alley. So I'm like, okay, let's go. And mm-hmm. I get on this thing, and I'm just pumping. I'm going hard, mm-hmm. and I'm feeling really great. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it's like someone shut all the lights off. Whoa. Someone hit me in the head with a baseball bat. My entire body felt like I was on fire. Um, I couldn't feel my extremities. My vision was almost gone. It had narrowed to like a little kind of point. Mm. And... Um, I, I went from like 100% speed and power to next to nothing in a, in a millisecond. It was gone. Hmm. I'm like, what the hell? Um, but being super stubborn, right. lots of testosterone, lots of ego. <laughs> sure. The rest of the team's watching me. I don't want to let them down. And mm-hmm. I'm a really good soldier. Right. Kept I just going. finished. Whoa. Right? Didn't realize what had happened. Mm-hmm. Just thought, man, I, I must have just hit the wall. I was just pushing too hard. Right. Um, finished the runoff. By the end of it, I was like, man, I I don't feel good. Hmm. I really don't feel good. Like, I couldn't even get up off the ground. Um, you know, laid on, on the gym floor for a while. And, of mm-hmm. course, all of my, my my fellow tactical members were so understanding. You know, of course, yeah, they were. The foot, go, Come right. on, wimp, get up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really, oh, wow, this is not good. Um, finished our shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were we were on a shift that was done uh, in the in the evening, so we mm-hmm. we went for for a, a, a drink afterwards. Okay. Um, sat down to have a drink. I had maybe two sips of of the beer that I was having, and was like, I got to go home. I had a headache so bad it felt like I was gonna I was gonna vomit in the middle of the of the middle of the, the restaurant. And you know, of course, you like seriously you're leaving like you haven't even finished your beer like yeah. that's and right there should have been a clue because something's I mean, wrong I, I grew up in a german household okay you don't throw beer away right, <laughs> right? sure yeah but i was like okay i gotta go so i left uh, went home that night 
um, went to bed, uh, woke up the next morning, still not feeling good. Mm-hmm. Um, just thought it was just a really bad headache. Like mm-hmm. I just, wow, I must have really overdone it. Like yeah. I've, I've never overdone it that bad before, but this is really bad. So, um, just sat in a dark room because I had a massive headache. Mm-hmm. My my ears were ringing. I had massive tinnitus. All I wanted to do was sleep. Um, fast forward to the afternoon, so almost twelve hours mm-hmm. after the the pardon me the that industry. It oh, okay. Um, the uh, my my wife came home and basically looked at me in the face and said, you got to go look in the mirror. We got to take you to the hospital. Yeah. I'm like, I don't have to go to the hospital. I have a headache. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to go to the hospital. Go, oh, I've got a headache. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm a big, tough guy. Sure. I just got a headache. So I went and looked in the mirror, and I was, one side of my face was starting to sag. I was starting oh, to have a stroke. Fuck. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, let's go. Yeah. So uh, we jump in the car. Cause, like, <clears> the hospital was, like, five minutes away. So we <clears> drive over and go into Emerge. And I'm still like letting people in front of me, right? I'm like, oh, you must be worse than me. I just have you're a stroking out, and you're like, I'm just, yeah, I'm just like, go ahead, go ahead, right? You know, and my wife's hit me, going, stop it, <laughs> you got to see someone. I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, and so I get into triage. Mm-hmm. They ask me some questions. They take my blood pressure. Mm-hmm. They're looking at my eyes and stuff, and they're like, okay, go sit in the waiting room. I'm like, oh, really? great. We know what it's like sitting in a waiting room yeah. and emerge and busy emerge, right? I'm like, great. We're going to be here for like 12 hours. So I go sit down mm-hmm. and I sat down. And I was just like, oh, what am I going to do for the next 12 hours? And I was like, Vic? I was like, huh? Come with me. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I get up, walk into the, the back of the yard. ER. I go, put this gown on, put this gown on. Um, I barely got the gown on. And I'm on the stretcher. They're putting an IV in me, and they're wheeling me off to a CT scan. They're starting to pump a bunch of stiff stuff into me. Whoa. I'm like, what's going on? And there's a lineup of beds of people waiting to get in the CT scan. Mm-hmm. They wheel me past everyone Whoa. right into the CT machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm in there. They put a bunch of radioactive dye in me, made me glow for a little while. <laughs> uh, finish. They bring me back to the, the ER room. And I'm sitting there. I'm, just, I'm like, I don't understand what's happening yet Mm -hmm. and i was there maybe two minutes and the curtain flies open nurses come in they start injecting me with a whole bunch of blood thinners into my stomach whoa and the doctor comes in he says listen i don't want to alarm you but this is super serious you had something called a carotid dissection which is a tear in your carotid artery lining Mm -hmm. uh, the the wall of your carotid artery Mm -hmm. um Sometimes they're very small and it just causes maybe a little bit of discomfort and headache, but yours was massive and it caused the entire wall of your carotid artery to collapse. You've had no blood flow to your brain, to one side of your brain for the last almost 12 hours. 12 by hours. The, yeah. Um, How are you alive at this point? They don't know. They have no idea, right? He said, but we're rushing you to the stroke ward. Yeah. You're going to be under under uh, surveillance to see if we can re-establish the blood flow. If we can't, we're going to have to do surgery. The problem is at the site of the surgery, it's right at the base of the brain where all of the nerves come together and we have a 50-50 chance of curing it or killing you. Hmm. 50-50, huh? 50-50. Toss a coin. Yeah, truly. Holy shit. So I'm like, well, I hope these uh, blood thinners and stuff work because yeah. I really don't want you to cut me open with a, with that low odds, right? Yeah. Um, so went in, uh, went into the uh, the stroke ward, um, was under surveillance for a couple of days. They did a few more tests, make sure there were no blood clots flowing through the rest of my brain and whatnot mm-hmm. because without any blood flow going, obviously that blood can now congeal. Oh, yeah. And then when they reestablish that, that route, all of a sudden sure. all that blood's going to go into the brain. And they want to be like, okay, hey, are you going to have a massive stroke now because we've done that? Right. Um, 
so you know they're able to stabilize things. Um, the headaches have never gone away mm. since the day of the injury. So every second of every day since then, seven almost eight years now, I've had a headache. You have a headache right now? Right now, yeah. And I got tinnitus ringing like there's an air raid siren going on. Really? Right now, yeah. Well, I appreciate you soldiering yeah. through that for yeah. us. You know what? It's it's one of those things. You know, and I'll be honest. The first couple of months was a massive pity party for me. Sure. Why me? Right. Right. I've never done drugs. I don't drink heavy. I eat healthy. I work out continuously. Why me? Did they ever give you a sense of why that happened to you? They they don't really know. They 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 seen what potentially the. The, the strain that you put yourself under on a consistent basis working out the way I did. You went hard? Um, I would go hard every day, basically the point where I'm puking in the gym. Okay. Right? If I didn't puke, it wasn't a good workout. Yeah, okay. But you push yourself to that level. It's right. like that could have caused it, mm-hmm. but then we don't know if because you trained like that, this would have happened anyways, and because you trained that way, it saved your life. Mm. So we don't know. We don't know if, if it caused it or if it saved your life. Right. Or maybe a little bit of both. We right. have no right. idea. Um yeah. But yeah, it was it was a couple of months of just feeling sorry for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's you know where I started to make that decision. Well, I knew my career would never be the same again. Yeah. I wasn't going back to work, right? Um, and my doctor told me, you know, because I went to see my, my my family doctor about a week later, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, so when do I get to go back to work? And he said, you don't get it. You're right. done. You're like, done. You're done. It was, you elevate your blood pressure a little bit right now, you could die. Wow. Is that still the case today? Yeah, I have blood pressure meds mm. that I got to take and blood thinners and all that other stuff that I take. But um, today, it's more a, a reminder of how blessed I am. Right. Because I shouldn't have survived. Yeah. I that makes no sense. I shouldn't be here. Yeah. Right? So when, and and uh, hey, the world isn't all, all sunshine and roses. Mm-hmm. I still struggle. There's still days I wake up because of headache and whatnot. I didn't sleep at all. And I'm like, Mm. oh, God, I really don't want today to happen. Mm. (laughs) Um, But it's just I. the cool thing is I get a choice of how I see my day every day. And every day I can wake up and choose Mm. to see it for the bad things that happen to me. Mm. Or I can choose to make it the best day ever. And nine times out of ten, you probably choose. Choose the best day ever. I still have my bad days. For sure. It's like, hey, I just got to sit in a dark room and just, I got to have a pity party for a day. I'll be okay tomorrow. Right. <laughs> right? But um, yeah, it's it's not all, it's not every day is perfect. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that's the cool thing about life is not every day will be perfect and there will be challenges and mm-hmm. um, it's it's what we do with those challenges that, that really define us and define our character. Well said. Yeah. Does it, does it give you a, a so-called new lease on life or like what was the transition like from out of the pity party into like okay i gotta put a, a foot forward here and do yeah. something it was slow yeah it was a slow transition uh, i remember the first time i left the house was to drive to the um the grocery store okay and because of the the brain injury that had happened from lack of lack of blood flow mm-hmm. um i mean the doctor said it's incredible that all of the brain damage you have has not affected your mobility hasn't affected your speech right Mm. 
you know, I, I have a few problems thinking of words sometimes. Oh, okay. Word, find, word finding, I have some trouble with every once in a while. Okay. Um, my memory isn't the best. Just ask my wife. Which you know. <laughs> That's why she is, runs your calendar. Right, which is pretty good. She's like, you didn't remember this? I got a brain injury. Yeah, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? I got a brain injury. <laughs> hey, it's a good excuse. It's a great get out of jail card. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And I use it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was slow. But I remember, I remember taking this drive to, to the store and it was maybe five blocks mm-hmm. and just the movement, the sound, everything, I went from feeling good to basically, I can't even get out of the car. I feel like I'm going to pass out. Right. Okay. So it was a very slow, gradual, just to get some energy back. Mm. That was the big thing is just get a little bit of energy, let your brain heal enough so right. that you can actually start doing things. Um, and then it was, it was a lot of just working on, on me, my mindset. Yeah. And it wasn't until I started as an agent with World Financial Group mm. that I, I started associating with different people who then encouraged me, hey, you should read this book. Mm. Hey, you should read this book. Hey, why don't you talk to this person? Mm-hmm. Why don't you associate with, you know, talk to this? And that was really the catalyst mm. that, that started to change that mindset. Mm. Right. It was yeah. really, really interesting, you know, you know, I, and like I said before, I, being on both sides of being in law enforcement, and out of law enforcement, mm-hmm. I know what that's like. And I hear, I hear so many police officers when I talk to them now, it's very dark, very, mm-hmm. um, limited mindset. Um, a lot of complaining, a lot of, right. Right. But I get it. They need to vent because mm-hmm. I, I was there too. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're doing anything wrong. It's just they haven't experienced anything different. Sure. Um, but, man, it was it was a long road. Uh, yeah. It so was, how long even would you say from the like the injury to where you were in, like, just full convalescence or whatever? Like, how long before you could even go out? Um, I would say it would probably be... Uh, well, it, hap- it happened in March. I went back to work... A, on, on a shorter schedule just to kind of see where I was in September. Okay. So about six months. Good six months where you were just laid up. Yeah. And then and for the first month, I probably slept 20 hours a day. Oh man. My brain just shut down. Mm-hmm. Right. That's still amazing. Like, do you, do you ever dwell on why you got a chance or is it just not worth it? You know what? I, I think it's totally worth it. Yeah. And, and I, I, I reflect on it frequently, but not from, a. uh, you know, an idea of why me or sure. what could have happened. I, I believe, and regardless of, you know, whether you're religious mm-hmm. or spiritual or, or, or not, whatever, sure. um, I believe that that injury happened for me, not to me. Mm. Right. Like, uh, like Tony Robbins says, life sure. happens for you, not to you. Wow. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I wasn't on the path I was supposed to be. And I mean, um, I think life just kind of said, okay, if you're not going to make the decision to, to make a change, we're going we're to make it for you. <laughs> right. And yeah. yeah. So it's like, yeah. So every day on the anniversary of my injury, mm. I declare that my rebirth day. Nice. Yeah. Rebirth day. Yeah. March. Do you remember the day? March 4th. March 4th. 2015. 2015. Yeah. So it'll be eight years this March. Okay. And you, then you got into, you were full on doing financial consulting by 2017, you said? 2017, I started on a part-time basis okay. um, because I, I didn't, I mean, I'm a cop. I'm a cop at the time. I'm still right. very skeptical of things. <laughs> right. I want to investigate everything to the nth degree. Mm. I want to say, okay, is this the best option for me? Is this the best offer? Am I going to be able to make the bi- biggest impact? Um, 
And so I started part-time uh, because I also wasn't going to put my family in jeopardy and walk sure. away from a really good paying job right. to try an industry that I didn't know if it would work. Mm-hmm. Uh, very quickly, though, I fell in love with this industry. I fell in love mm-hmm. for what we do. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with the idea that we get to make a massive impact in people's lives that very few people are making. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with the fact that I get to talk to people with their goals and dreams <laughs> and that I can help them make those goals and dreams come true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I fell in love with the, the people, the atmosphere. Um, I loved being a SWAT guy. <laughs> and sure. that pales in comparison to what I do now. Wow. Absolutely pales in comparison. Yeah. And people wouldn't think that necessarily, you no, know. No, right? I'm, I'm, I'm very I'm very proud of what I did. Sure. Um, but I think it was just a training ground to get me to here. Interesting. It provided me the tools I need to be able to to um, be a leader, to um, relate to people on a different level, to be able to you know, build that that empathy. Mm. Because I mean, I wasn't always so empathetic when I was younger, and mm. I thought I knew everything. Sure. Right? I, I carried my soapbox around with me. <laughs> gotcha. Right? Um, just ask any of my friends. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder how they're still my friends. Right. Yeah, well. <laughs> but, um, but no, I mean, it's. I think it was. It was just a training ground, hmm. right? It was, it was a great phase of my life mm-hmm. to prepare me for the next phase of my life, and hmm. who knows where this is going to go? Yeah. Right. Um, I'm a firm believer that, uh, you know, this is great right now, and I can see me doing this forever. Mm-hmm. But in the very least, this is going to be a foundation mm. for my wife and I to do way bigger things, things with starting charities. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, my wife has like the biggest heart and she wants to feed children, mm, okay. but she doesn't want to create a foundation to feed children. She actually wants to get in a kitchen and actually physically go and feed children. Right. So <laughs> I don't know what kind of charity that looks like, right. but that's one of the things that we want to do. Beautiful. Right. Um, so this is a foundation for me to make a massive impact in people's lives, to be significant, mm-hmm. to help a whole bunch of people get what they want, and eventually we're going to be able to achieve a bunch of the goals and, and dreams that we have um, and really impact people in a way um, that I probably never would have imagined eight years ago. Wow. and it, Well, yeah, this might be the middle act and that third act. Who knows? Who knows? Could be down in Miami. Could be. Wouldn't that be all right? That'd be okay. <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I would not balk at that at all. At least in the winter. Yeah, for sure. At oh least man, in the for yeah. sure. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you for one more thing. Could you tell me the single craziest thing that you ran ran across as a SWAT SWAT team guy that you can tell me? Ah, uh, well, yeah. Some of the crazy things. You know what? Um, I, I will tell you a story. Uh, we were, we were. You know, when we get together again now, we kind of talk about the dumb things. And we don't remember mm-hmm. the serious things. We remember the silly things. When we right. messed up, we fell down, blah, blah, blah. Um, but we we seem to do a lot of things for the first time. <laughs> okay. And uh, not always good. Um, but we actually had a, a, a situation where um, we had a lady in a house who mm-hmm. uh, was mentally disturbed she had a firearm and so uh negotiators were talking to her and so uh, she wasn't talking to them for a little while so they asked us Mm -hmm. to put out a loud hailer so we could talk to her through the loud hailer it's just a big micro okay big speaker right we have a microphone for back behind cover Mm -hmm. um 
to encourage her to get back on the phone with the with the negotiators. So okay. we go and we put this we put this thing out behind mm-hmm. behind you know. Uh, bullet blockers and everything else, bullet bunkers, and we go back, we retreat back, and right. uh, our team leader is talking to talking to the lady, you know, Mrs. So and So, could you please get on the phone? Mm-hmm. Yada yada yada. And uh, we got a sniper out, who's our our our, our visual person, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not a sniper. I mean, obviously they have the capability to mm-hmm. do things that things go really bad, but it's more a hey, they're the eyes on because gotcha. they can't be seen, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, they're watching. And all of a sudden we can hear, yeah, team one from S1, uh, targets out of the house. Oof. Okay, so we're getting ready. Oh, targets walking towards the team. Like, uh-oh, great. But she doesn't have a weapon. Okay. Okay, that's good. And there's a little bit of a delay between when the sniper talks and we hear it because it's got to go through a repeater. Sure. It's maybe a fraction of a second, but just enough for to delay a response. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden he goes, I'll be here. <laughs> Target's got the loud hailer, and she's walking back into the house. I'm like, oh, crap. And so by the time we come around the corner, she's already in the house. We're like, she's got a speaker. She stole our loud hailer. Oh. And so like, excuse me, ma'am. And so we're talking to her inside the house now. Could you give me, you bring back our loud hailer, right? And so that's that's something pretty hilarious. So like, we just look back. Okay, now we know not to do that. Right. Put the loud hailer back over here where right. we can actually prevent her from taking it that's next time. <laughs> Yeah, we got relieved from that call uh, oh, okay. pretty pretty quickly after that, and yeah, the debriefing from our sergeant was not fun. I bet it wasn't fun. She stole the speaker. <laughs> she like, he, we look like idiots. Do you guys realize what just happened? I'm like, yeah, we know, sir. We know, <laughs> boss. We got it. We totally got it. Yell at us all you need to, because yeah, that was bad. That was bad. That was bad. Well, yeah. that was bad, but this was great. I would say, awesome. yeah, Vic. I hope you inspired our listeners to maybe think about a, co- a lot of d- different things, but you Absolutely. know. You know, be of service and don't be afraid to dream, I think, are two yeah. things I'm going to take away big time. So Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, if, if anyone ever needs, you know, a, a shoulder to lean on, an ear to listen to, um, you know, they, they, I hope they know they can reach out. Uh, I'm all over the Internet. Awesome. Facebook, Instagram, okay. our own website, Vic Pipke's Financial Warriors. Beautiful. .ca. So, yeah, if anyone needs anything, we're here. They're here, and they will. They will. Uh, they will serve you, and they'll get you uh, thinking big. I think is fair thinking to say. Thinking big, baby. Right on, yeah. Vic. Thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate my it. My pleasure. It's my pleasure spending time with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Self Control: How to Build a Better Life. I hope you enjoyed part two of my conversation uh, with Vic Pipke. Uh, whether it was his wisdom on on mindset and, and personal responsibility, or you found inspiration in his story, uh, the way he rose above. Uh, what could have been a tragedy, uh, the way he found the grit uh, within himself to uh, rebuild his whole life after uh, such an unforeseen incident, and the way he's actually reframed it as being the path he was meant to be on is uh, really incredible stuff. You know, when, when we can have an experience like that with so much pain and suffering, uh, and be able to see that as being the catalyst for a better life is, uh, I mean, it's there's almost no words for it. Until I speak with you again, please remember that better is possible.